There was a, a Pew Research poll that was done a couple years ago. It said 65% of Americans said they were Christians. You turn on the news, people talk about the rise of Christian nationalism and the danger that that the Christian majority has upon um, upon the United States. But you'd be it's hard to it's hard to take that and then look at the way our nation is and say the majority of people are Christians. It's just hard to look out at all that's going on in the in our nation and what is tolerated and permitted and celebrated, and then at the same time say most of everybody is a Christian. People say one thing, but you look at the the land, and it says quite the opposite, doesn't it? Well, a different study asked those people that said that they were Christians, 65% of Americans said they were Christians, 25% of people said they were practicing Christians. So now that's starting to get a little bit, uh, shed a little bit more light on the subject here. 65% of people said they were Christians, but 25% of the people asked if they were practicing Christians said yes. That means that there were 75% of the people don't go to church, they don't read the Bible, they don't pray, they don't trust in Christ. They just were born into a Christian family. So that kind of makes a little bit more sense. The profession is one thing, but the fruit is something else altogether. Under 40% of people in the United States go to church weekly. About the same amount of people read their Bible weekly. Another poll took professing evangelicals. So what, the way they defined that, they said to be evangelical, you have to believe that um, God is one God in three persons that the only way to heaven is through uh, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and just some basic Christian beliefs. Well, of that group of people, 73% believe that Jesus was the first created being. 60% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Judaism and Islam. Half the, over half the people Say, worshiping by yourself is a valid replacement for the church. The same group of people, same percentage, 55, believe the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. That everybody sins a little, but most people are good by nature. They disagree with the idea that one sin deserves eternal damnation. Or that you ought to join a church. 44% of people that go to church say that Jesus was a good teacher, but was not God. 44% of people who say that they're Christians said that Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. And 30% agree with the statement that God learns and adapts to different circumstances um, rather than God being all-powerful and eternal. Well, what does all this tell you? Why, Why did I bring this up? Well, John, in this first chapter, has three statements where it says, if we say, if we say three times, three false assertions that John brings up. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say that we have not sin, we make him a liar. 
If we say is a profession, it's an assertion that someone says that claimed that they are a child of God. And all throughout this book, there are claims that John is dealing with where people say, I believe this or I deny this, but I, I I'm still should be considered a Christian. But John says, here, these are, are false assertions. These are false assertions. And, and as I read this, I mean, they're just statistics and you can do whatever you want to with numbers and so forth. But what this makes me think of is there are a great many of people who on the last day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all kinds of works? Lord, Lord, didn't I donate to charity? Didn't I um, join a church whenever I was young? Didn't I do this and didn't I do that? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Your profession of what you said differed from what the reality was. There is no salvation. There is no fellowship. There is no communion with God apart from the grace and the mercy that is found in Christ Jesus the Lord. And what John is doing is giving a ground of assurance to God's people. Because he says in verse number four, I write that your joy may be full. And so he is saying there are, there are many people out there that say that they have the right way. They have the right path. They have the right understanding of Christ. But he's saying, I'm writing these things to you who are saved, who know Christ, that your joy may be full. You may be grounded and have great assurance in your salvation. Because this is what it looks like to be saved. But at the same time, if somebody reads this and they're one of the people that if we say, if, if you're one of those that make the false assertions, then, then John is pointing out something that uh, something is asserted, but it's not true. So for God's people, this is a source of not of terror, but of, of comfort and assurance that we can look uh, to Christ and know that we know him. So let's look at false assertion number one in verse number five. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So false assertion number one is that you can have fellowship with God in the darkness. That you can have fellowship with God in the darkness. Well, this is the message that John had heard. The good promise that was given. This is not John's message. This is God's message. Oh, you Christians, you, you guys are just a bunch of fundamentalists that are so strict and, and draw lines so stark that, that you try to unchristianize everybody. No, this is not John's message, or it's not even my message. This is the message that John heard from Jesus. So what we have here is a message that John didn't come up with on his own, but this is what he heard Jesus say. And this is what John was instructed by Jesus to tell others. Verse 3, we find that he's talking about um, if we have fellowship, or this is the message that we've heard of him, of, of Jesus. Because in verse 3, 
He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the message we heard of him, that God is light. And so, in verse number 7 also, it talks about the, um, the fellowship with him in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son. So what John is saying is, Jesus told us that if you want fellowship with the Father, you can't be walking in darkness. Jesus told him, and Jesus tells us, that if you want fellowship with God, if you want to be in heaven, if you want fellowship with God the Father, you can't be in the darkness, because God is light. Paul said, God who hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. God is glorious. And there is a light of the glory of God that no man can walk into. So bright that uh, no man could, could even look upon. God is wise. And so this light is opposed to the darkness of ignorance. God is the father of lights, which means he illuminates that he communicates that light. Because Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, we are the children of light. God is pure. So when we think about light, we think about its glory. It, it illuminates. It, it, it. So if it's out in the open, it's out in the light, you can see it. It illuminates. It speaks of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Um, it speaks of his purity and his holiness. Because if we compare that with darkness, darkness is depravity and sin. So in Matthew 4.16, it says, The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them that sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that illustration is you've got people that sat in darkness. They didn't know God. They didn't know the way of salvation. They didn't know the word of God. They were in darkness. They were in ignorance. They were um, in, in depravity. You think of darkness. You think of sin. You think people sneaking around, doing the unfruitful works of darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians. The darkness of this world, he says again in Ephesians 6, 12, that we do battle with, the, the ways of Satan. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. So you have a kingdom, a world of darkness, of, of depravity, of iniquity, of sinfulness, of ignorance. But God is light. He is glory. He is pure. He is holiness. And what John is saying, that God doesn't just emit light or shine light, but he is light. God is light. He is holy. He is glorious. He is wise. He is all-knowing. And they have a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And John is saying you can't have fellowship with the light while walking in darkness. You can't be in light and darkness at the same time. And if God is light, you can't have communion with the light while you're sitting in darkness. Imagine you wake up, a man wakes up early the first day of deer season. And it's pitch black outside. He goes and he walks in the woods and he gets to his tree stand. He's sitting in the tree stand 
It's a cloudy morning, no moon, no star, just dark. It's cold and it's dark, and you're sitting there by yourself. Well, your wife is in the kitchen. She's got the light on, heat's on. She's got breakfast, and she's sitting in the kitchen in the warmth and the light and eating breakfast. Now, that man can't say that he's at home having fellowship with his wife in the light while at the same time he's outside in the dark. And you could text somebody 5 o'clock in the morning and say, where are you at? He said, I'm sitting in the tree stand in the dark having breakfast with my wife in the kitchen. What would you say? Well, you'd say, that guy's a liar because he can't be doing that. You can't be in the light and the darkness at the same time. Well, that's all John's saying. That's what John is saying here. If God is in the light and you're over here in the dark, don't say you're in the light. You can't be with God if you're in the darkness. The two things are, are polar opposites. They can't, they're not compatible. Because what happens when the light shines in the darkness? Where is the darkness? Well, it's gone. If God is light and you're in the darkness, then you're not with God. That's making a profession. That profession is a lie there, is what John is saying. If we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we do lie and do not the truth. That is not the true, that's not a true statement. Listen to what the Bible says about conversion and new birth. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 4, and verse 5 and 6, listen to how the scriptures describe um, Describe the new birth. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. Now listen to verse number six. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, an illustration of creation, what God say at creation, let there be light. And the light shined out of darkness. Well, the same God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. So when we're born again, God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the darkness of our hearts. Being able to come to Christ by faith is an act of God's sovereign grace. Just as creation was an act of God's sovereign power where he said, let there be light, and there was light. There was light before there was a sun. If you look at the creation um, timetable, the sun and the stars were created after the, God created light. He created light out of, out of nothing. He created it. It was a work of his sovereignty to, to, to speak light into existence. And God, in his sovereignty, shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus in our hearts. So in order to have faith, in order to have faith in Jesus Christ, God must shine that light in our heart. And so if you're in darkness, you've never seen that light. You, you don't have that light. 1 Peter 2.9 says that God, that we are a people set apart to praise him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So saved people are people who have been called out of the darkness 
into his marvelous light. So John is not saying that you have to work real hard to walk in the light. He's just making a statement of fact that God's people in the new birth have the light of God's glory shine in their hearts. And if you can see Christ in the glory of the gospel by faith, you're no longer blind and, and you see. And if you see, you no longer walk in darkness. You no longer walk in the course of, of the devil, but you are walking in the light. Now see, that is a very um, distasteful comment um, to, to a lot of people because of how they view salvation. They view salvation as, as just something that you say or something that you are or something that you're, you're born into, something that is part of your family tradition. But this is the message that Jesus said, that if we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness... Something's wrong. Some, something's way out of whack. But in verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. So the walking in the light is living in the light. The light of the knowledge of God in Christ. Walking in Christ and with Christ according to his word. You just see one by one how many Christians are falling by the pressure of the world to the, to the, the doctrines in the course of this age. All kinds of Christians are saying, well, it's okay if um, two men get married. But that's fine. They're not hurting anybody. We're all about love and freedom and so forth. You read that now. Why? Because... It'll cost you something to say otherwise. It'll cost you now to stand against the, the ways of the world. It was, it was easy to say that 25 years ago. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama said it 25 years ago, that marriage between the man and the woman. It's easy to, to do that, but now it'll cost you something. And so now you see a lot of people who said that they were Christians say, well, God didn't really say that. Or we can let that slide and, and so forth. And that's just one example of, of many examples where people will, will slide on the truth because it'll cost them. Well, walking in the light is walking in and with Christ according to his word. Not the way of culture, but the way of the scripture. God is light and there's fellowship in the light. The Father is light spoken of here. Now, Jesus says that he's in the light in the Gospel of John. I'm a coming of light into the world. Whosoever believeth me should not abide in darkness. Our Lord said that I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Trusting in Christ, you have a light, a light of the truth. A light of who God is, who Christ is, and the way of salvation, and, and the, the truth about sin, the truth about Jesus, the truth about God. 
And we no longer walk in darkness according to the power of Satan, according to the course of this world. John is showing us how we can have joy and have fellowship with God the Father by walking in the light as he is in the light. You say, well, how? Well, there's one or two ways you could go about it. You could say, you could take what the Bible says about sin, and we could lower the bar. We could ignore what the Bible says about sin and make our own definition of what the light is. But as we'll see in just a minute, John anticipates that, and he's not going to let us get by with that. So what are we supposed to do? Because I know every one of us in here isn't pure and holy in our Christian walk. There's not one of us in here who hasn't sinned today. So how, how could we say that we have fellowship with God? Well, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. God is glorious. But how can we approach the glorious sinful people? God is pure and holy. And how can we approach the holiness and glory of God being sinful people? How can this be good news to say that if we walk in darkness, well, the good news is there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness of sins because at one time we walked in darkness. And many times we'll slip and fall. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There is fellowship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. There is fellowship with God um, through uh, what Christ has done for us. We cannot walk in the light apart from the grace of God. Remember what Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 4. He commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. He shined it in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do we walk in the light? By God's grace. How can we who are people who walked in darkness walk now in his marvelous light? Well, because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ who came into this world to save sinners who died on the cross, who paid our debt to, uh, the, to justice, whose blood was shed as a sacrifice to wash us clean, who paid our pardon. We are now clean from all unrighteousness. We now have light that we may see Christ and, and see him as the Savior of men and, and rest and trust in him who called us out of darkness. And now we can have fellowship with God and fellowship with God's Son, and fellowship one with another because we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And John said, you can't tell me that someone who has this grace will leave it all behind and go back and, and live just as they had before. Or go back and deny that Jesus is the Son of God or deny that Christ is, is the Savior. There can't be fellowship with God while trampling on the blood of his son. There can't be fellowship with God while living in perpetual darkness. 
There's fellowship with God in his word. There's fellowship with God in his in our walk. There's fellowship with God in his works as we praise him for his creation. And we, we give him glory in his providence. And we praise him for his grace and his mercy. Dear Christian, do you not look back on your life and, and you say, and you look and see how God had has moved in your life and how God has brought you to a particular place in your life, and you look back and say, what, what grace? Where would I have been apart from the grace of God? Or you think, how kind God is to, to bring me to this point in, the, in my life or to show me this truth. And you just look out into creation and you look out into providence and you see the hand of God and you see the work of Jesus Christ in, this, in, in your life. And you fellowship with God. And you walk with Him. And, and you, you, you love Him. And, and you see the light of Christ. And you see the light of His Word. And you don't walk in darkness anymore. And you're not tricked by the devil and, and deceived by wicked men and wicked, wicked power. But you're in the light with Christ. There's no salvation, there's no fellowship, there's no communion with God apart from the grace and the mercy found in Jesus Christ. Fellowship with God is is not found in the darkness. Communion with the light is only in the light. But the good news is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We can't have fellowship if we have sin. And that's false assertion number two. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you can't have fellowship if you also are having sin. If you are controlled, if you if you cling to, to sin, like one would cling to, to another person to have fellowship with one. If you love that sin and, and you, you, you have it and you hold it and you, you won't abandon it and you don't hate it, if you have it. Well, John says if you do that, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. You've deceived yourself. And... I, I don't mean to keep using this as an example, but um, I've just been reading about um, some of the, the um, reasoning that people are using to say that now that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. And they say that people have been wrong for 2,000 years, at least, about, about um, the sin. And what they've done is they've redefined sin. And they've redefined righteousness and redefined holiness. And you have to lower the standard of God's law. Then you have to excuse and justify wrongdoing. And all this is is self-deception. I mean, you can do that with a lot of things. People will steal and they'll redefine stealing as taking something from somebody personally. 
Have you ever heard somebody say this? I've heard people say this, that they weren't stealing from a person, they'd stealing from a company. They say, well, that company's got a billion dollars. Why do they need that for? You know, those people rob, um, rob and loot stores. That's what they say. Well, I'm not stealing from a person. I'm stealing from this company. And they got millions. They got more money than they need. Well, companies don't appear out of the earth. They don't spring up with, uh, like with, from seed. People own companies. People own stores. You know, but what they, what they do is they deceive themselves. Well, I'm not stealing from a person. I'm stealing from a company. No, you're a thief. And you're deceiving yourself by redefining sin and redefining righteousness, lowering the standard of God's law and excusing and justifying sin in your life. So if you say you have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. You can't be honest with yourself if you say you don't sin. You just can't be honest with yourself. Can you be honest with yourself and say that there's not some sin that you have to fight against and you have to war against and it seems like every time it, it rises up, it seems like more often than not you trip to that temptation? Well, John says if you say that you have no sin, if, you've, if you're above that, if you're above temptation, if you're above that pool of the old flesh, and John says, well, you, you're just a the truth's not in you. You're self-deceived. Well, now we're in a big pickle, aren't we? If we? First, he says, if you're in the darkness, you don't have fellowship. Well, thankfully, the blood of Jesus Christ sends us, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say that we have no sin at all, now what are we going to do if we have sin? Well, verse number nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now here's the gospel part of that, that if we confess. Now, if you deny wrongdoing, you're not going to confess, are you? If you're trying to get out of, um, if you're trying to get out of a conviction, You've been convicted of a crime. You go up before the judge and say, I'm not guilty. And they start bringing evidence in. Well, we have you on video camera. Oh, I'm not guilty. That's not me. The camera's wrong. Well, we have 25 witnesses that saw you. Well, that wasn't me. They were mistaken. Well, we have your fingerprints all over the place. Well, I was in there the day before. Those, those are mistaken. Well, we have your DNA. Well, that's a, an error in the, you know, just on and on. Always denying, always coming up with some excuse. Would that person ever admit to confess? No, they're doing everything in their power. Why are they doing that then? To get out of the punishment. If I can deny long enough, if I can, if I can put the blame off on somebody else, if I can uh, cast a shadow of doubt, then there's reasonable doubt that I am not a sinner. What Adam tried to do. He went and hid himself first. Adam, where are you? Well, I'm over here. Why are you hiding? Well, um, it was that woman's fault. It was Eve's fault. That's nature. We try to get out of punishment. But confession 
is confession to the truth, it's agreeing with God. Because unlike our judicial system, God already knows your sin. God already knows what you did. He already knows. Whether you confess your sin or not, God already knows your sin. Confession is just agreeing with God and admitting your wrongdoing. You would think children would learn after a while that whenever mom or dad asks them if they did something, that they might as well just confess because they're not asking to find out if they're doing to try and get confession. Right? I mean, that's, 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 what parents, that's why parents do that. Say, little one, did, did you knock the cookie jar off the, off the counter and shatter it all over the place and they've got chocolate all over their face? And, no, it wasn't me. Well, you, mom already knows who did it, right? She's just asking because she wants, she's, it's a confession. When God said, Adam, where art thou? God knew where Adam was. What was he doing? He wanted a confession. Well, why does the little children, little child instinctively lie and deny that they did wrong? Even when the chocolate's all over their face, even when they're the only other person in the house, why do they lie? Because they think they can get out of trouble. And we never grow out of that because we'll, we will lie to ourselves, self-deceived, as John said. We will lie to others. We'll lie to God. But here's the insane part of all of it. John says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess is simply to agree with what God already knows about us and to do so is the path to forgiveness through faith in his son. He is faithful and just to forgive you. It's not confessing sin that brings judgment, but it's the penitent heart confessing sin that will receive forgiveness. So many people lose assurance in their salvation because they're convicted of their sin and they try to hide it. And they try to do away with it and they say, well, a Christian wouldn't walk in darkness. So I must be in darkness. Well, a Christian wouldn't, um, wouldn't live the way that I'm living, so I have to hide it. I have to cover it up. And then what do you do if you try to hide something? What do you do if you try to cover it up? Where did Adam go? Went and hid. Where does somebody go and hide? They go and hide in the darkness. That's the shameful, that's the terrible thing about it. If, if we think that we are saved by our works. Even if you believe in sovereign grace, instinctively, I think, by nature, Man is a is an Armenian at heart. We just don't we just don't want to admit we're as bad as we are, and we want to have some part in it. And when we're convicted of our sin, we don't pray. Have you ever noticed that pattern where people fall into a great sin? Where's the last place they start? What do they do? That well, first they start they stop coming to church, they stop going around other Christians. They stop fellowshipping with other Christians. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. Why? Because they're guilty and they want to go and they want to hide in the dark. What does the Lord tell us? To come to the light. Why? Because there, there is cleansing. There is pardon. There with confession, 
admitting what God already knows, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How awful is it to carry about the weight and the burden of guilt? For the child of God doesn't have to. How sweet the gospel that both forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from unrighteousness. The darkest stain we washed white as snow. John isn't asking us to rewrite our story to fit into a narrative or to go backwards in time and try to right old wrongs in our mind or in our testimony, but to come to the light. All of this is for right here and right now, today. Not for yesterday or not for 20 years ago, but for today, right now. To confess, to believe, to trust. Right now, do you have fellowship with the Father in light? Well, if not, come to the light. Come and find pardon and forgiveness and be cleansed in the precious blood of the Lamb. Come without delay. That's what John tells us here. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Many will read 1 John and become so troubled over the state of their soul that they will wallow in the mire of their, their, their despondency. Well, John doesn't say that. What if, what if one says, well, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not one that is walking in the light. Well, what does John do? He says, well, come to the light. Come and find peace and pardon in Christ. Come to the Savior. The third false assertion that we have is that we have not sinned. It's very similar to what we just said. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So if you deny that you sin, you're calling God a liar. That's a pretty heavy charge, isn't it? You might say, well, I haven't sinned. I don't sin. I don't sin like I used to. Don't call God a liar. God says that all have sinned. And if you say that you haven't sinned, then your word is contrary to God's and one of you is a liar. Somebody's not telling the truth. The word of God says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you say, well, I don't sin. Somebody's not telling the truth. And it's surely not God. What John is saying, think about what you're denying. Denying sin is a proof that we're devoid of God's word. Because if confession is agreeing with God about ourselves and about our sin, to deny that you haven't sinned is saying that God has falsely charged you. That God's word is inaccurate. And to say that is just proof that God's, not, God's word's not in you. And it's proof that you're in the darkness. So yes, walking in darkness is proof you have no fellowship with God and you say, well, I'm a sinner. Well, John says, that's true. And that's part of walking in the light is God shows you who you are and shows you the gravity of sin, but also shows you the way of salvation, which is the, to come to the light, to find forgiveness. So John says, my little children, these things I write unto you, they sin not. He's not saying, yes, everybody sins, so, you know, let's just 
live like however you want to and go on. No, he says, I'm writing this. I don't want you to sin. But if any man sins, but if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. In Christ, we have an advocate. We have one that stands for us on our behalf, like a lawyer would. So what would Jesus say? So we have an advocate this morning. And you say, I haven't walked perfectly in the light my whole life. I have sinned. I have sinned. But, I, but how can I have fellowship with the Father? Well, John says, well, you have an advocate. Well, what's your advocate going to say this morning? Is he going to say, well, this one's pretty good, and he tries, he tries hard. No, he's not go- he wouldn't say that. Jesus is not going to lie, is he? He's not going to say, well, they've been baptized and they're good Baptists. No, he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say, well, they give and they tithe and they do the right thing and they try hard. No, that wouldn't be good grounds. What are the grounds by which Christ could speak for you this morning? We have an advocate who paid sin's debt. We have an advocate who purchased our pardon. We have an advocate who washes clean from every stain. We have an advocate who justifies us and and in his death and burial and resurrection we have life. We have an advocate who's clothed us with his righteousness. So the case doesn't come down to what we've done but what Christ did for us. We have a propitiation. God is angry with the sinner with the atoning sacrifice in Christ, he was appeased in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus. Listen to what Morgan said here. He said, the apostle was addressing the believer and he urges him to come to Christ. He is supposed to um, hesitate as though he feared he would not be accepted. So the apostle meets him with the assurance that it is the blood of Christ There is enough to satisfy for the sins of even the whole world. It is, he can, it will never be exhausted. Therefore, there is no reason for despair. So, in other words, that that Christ, when he said that that Christ has, um, it was for the sins of the whole world, he's not saying that he died for the whole world. He is saying that, that your sins, that Jesus is a mighty Savior. And you don't have to worry that, that Christ could not pay for your, your sins. He is a mighty Savior. Not just to the Jews, not just to the apostles, but throughout the entire world. Christ is the, in Christ there is full and free salvation. Fly to the Savior. It's the devil's trick to always be looking behind rather than ahead. Fly to the Savior. You can live in doubtful fear and afraid, or you can come to the mighty Savior, confessing your sins and find rest and pardon and peace and forgiveness for your souls. There is no salvation, there is no fellowship, there is no communion with God apart from the grace and the mercy found through Christ Jesus. But in Christ, There is forgiveness. 
In Christ, there is fellowship. In Christ, you are brought into the light. In Christ, you will find mercy and peace and, and forgiveness and pardon and cleansing and purity and light and happiness and joy. So that's why your joy is full. If you believe in these things and trust in these things, believe in the Savior, trust in the Savior, and there you'll find your rest.